Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. Today, we're talking the albums of the year, 2017. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, let's talk about the 10 best albums of 2017. Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. And today we are doing the second half of our end of the year 2017 albums of the year, which means number 10 through number one, even for people as bad as we are at math. Um, but first, I think we wanted to, uh, you know, briefly recap how the um, scoring went for this particular endeavor. And Christian, uh, since you're our, our noted, I think you're the sort of... Professor, um, please explain. Yeah, so, the Einstein of this crew. Scientist by default. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I mean, basically we just combine, we each, you know, we assign a point value, uh, you know, 20 down to 1 um, for our top albums, and then you know we cumulatively um, add those points, and uh, then then I get several people to check that I added correctly, um, and I usually didn't. So then I do it a second time, and then the <laughs> second time we use that as our as our final guiding uh, uh, guiding list for for the top twenty bands. So last time we we recapped, you know, we did. Uh, I guess actually I I should say it's twenty one bands. Yeah, I was gonna um, say after all which has of become that something of a tradition, we somehow still fuck it up and end up with twenty one, right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um so, you know, last week we we had a, a bunch of great installations. We we talked a little bit about some of the um some of the bands that were on the bubble for us. Um like Gang of Youths uh and uh but but then basically walked through um, you know, walked through our back half. Anything that you guys wanted to highlight about that? Um just uh I like I said, I think this year was a particularly fertile year and I can't believe that some of my favorite albums of the year got left on the cutting room floor. Um, what's but, amazing yeah. looking at this list of 10 that we've got left and what isn't on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, 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 look, they're 10 exceptional albums and I'm really excited to talk about them. Um, but you know, it is, uh, it is, it is pretty amazing. Um, how, how jam packed this year was. I, you know, one of the things as we were putting this list together though, that I was sort of reflecting on and, uh, you know, is, is. The, like this whole list curation process that just like completely takes over the last month of the year for uh, for anybody who's as obsessive about this stuff as as we are, um, you know. And and I think there are there are some really major um, major lists out there that I think a, a lot of people sort of refer to as um, you know the the sort of the the annual biggies, the, yeah, yeah. The 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 establishment, you know, uh, critical pieces like uh, Pitchfork and and Rolling Stone, um, Rolling Stone. Who you know, if a U two album came out within the last five years, um, is is going to declare that the best album of the year? Um, Mick Jagger's Primitive Cool is the number one <laughs> album this year, even though it was recorded in nineteen ninety five. 
Exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, but but I think the I've been speaking to one of our uh, one of our listeners um, asked the other day. I thought a great question. Um, you know, which is sort of what are the lists that the three of us refer to when we're when we're putting this together? Like, how do we start? Going about compiling these uh, these bands and and sort of organizing them, um, but you know what are what are some of our favorite year end lists? Like which ones do we like? Which ones do we think are well written? And which ones do we think are you know well categorized or well organized? Um, so do you guys have any uh, have any thoughts about that? I think you know I mean I mine is is less of a uh, laudatory and, and more of a, a derogatory uh, sort of comment, which is that I we look welcome at the, those as well. Yeah, I look at these things as a, as a way of having an argument with somebody who's not standing in front of me, I usually, I mean, I look at Rolling Stone and I'm like, you know, I sit there and I go, what the fuck? But I still look at it always. You know, it's, it's not like I skip it. Um, and I, but I like to look at it and get outraged. I like to look at people's, I mean, and this isn't limited to music. I mean, film, I television. I about to say, who knew that controversial film, opinions? Anything. Yeah, or presidents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all sorts of things. <laughs> My top I mean, I ten think list of presidents this year is pretty controversial. <laughs> <laughs> it's also very short. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm no, I'm with you. I think uh, I think that being provocative is is sort of you know it's a it's a successful strategy as, as far as getting eyes on this stuff, um, but. In addition to that, you know, I think it's another way for a lot of these publications to, to really establish their brands and their sort of their critical personas, you know. Um, and look, you're going to see one nominally, quote unquote, like indie rock band uh, or, you know, maybe two that are going to be represented in Rolling Stone every year. You're going to see um, an exceptional like it, a, a well, funny, it's even uh, on the flip side. You're going to see a, a pop sensation on a pitchfork list. <clears throat> which will be 90% indie. Exactly. And what I was about to say was what, what I think would be a really interesting exercise, and you know, I, maybe, maybe we can do this next year, is I would it, it basically to, you know, if I, if I'd like to try and come up with like Rolling Stones top 10 before they do it. Yeah, we should. Um, or, you know, and see how many we get right. Because I actually, I do think that, you know, you sort of, you, you get the, the editorial uh, perspective of these publications. And, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to see where they're going to come down at the end of the day. Um, I will say credit to Rolling Stone, by the way, for uh, for nailing Code Orange um, as their fiftieth album of the year, uh, top or yeah, number fifty in their in their top fifty, which is a really great um, sort of metal hardcore band from Pittsburgh. Uh, then again, the Grammys also figured out that that say, was a great band before I, was about I did. To say, you're, so. uh, <laughs> you're, uh, you're about to to. Uh, and the last Rolling person Stone in this. the Grammys <laughs> in the same sense, so. for for turning me onto hip new musical acts, yeah, shit. <laughs> Have you heard the oh, new well. U2 record, Christian? <laughs> it's really. But good. what are you? What, so, what are your favorite lists this year? I mean, or, or, I don't know if they're favorite, but what what are the other lists that that you know might necessarily might not necessarily fall smack in the traditional list of, of places you'd look? I mean, yeah. Um, I, I would mention two. Um, I, I think the the first one I would say is, is I always I always look at and like the American songwriter list. And unlike some of the others, I don't tend to have like a, a an immediate grievance. And part of it is I think the the sort of selection criteria that they're using are slightly different than um, some other publications might use. So uh, they're sort of looking at you know you you need to be sort of lyrically focused um you, you need to be a good a good writer obviously and and you know it's in the name of their uh it's in the name of their their publication it's it's not that surprising but um it doesn't matter whether you're Kendrick Lamar or Margot Price but but you do need to be 
you know, lettered, uh, so to speak. And so that cuts out um, some of the more, you know, atmospheric music or stuff that doesn't have lyrics, obviously. But um, in addition, it cuts out, you know, the bands that are, are more focused on style and sort of mm-hmm. creating a, a sound, you know, than, than they are um, in specifically what, what they're trying to say. And so narrative tends to win out. So I, I always think that that's a cool... Uh, a cool sort of perspective to to check against against some of my own favorites. I actually haven't looked at that. So, were there any surprises on there, or anything that you took away no, saying I mean, like I've got to listen to that? I mean, I think you could you could predict what their number one and two uh, two albums are. Jason Isbell and Margot Price. Margot Price. Margot Price. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except in the other order. Um, so Margot Price one, uh, but Jason Isbell two. Um, you know, but, but yeah, Kendrick is, is, uh, not far behind them. Um, and you can't argue with that, you know, I, those guys all put out really thought provoking, um, intelligent, like well-crafted, uh, uh, you know, poetry this year. And before um, we reference every, every album that's in our top <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. Before we tease um, and, uh, reference But, but then the other one that I would, the other one that's a little, you know, it's kind of a, a kind of a, a slightly more lighthearted um, list that I always uh, look forward to is, you know, Oh My Rockness, which is the the big sort of concert listing um, website, uh, basically puts together uh, something that they call NYC's hardest working bands list. Um, and literally it's of the 9,500 shows that they list on their website this year. Um, so have you gotten credit who, for attending at least 90% I, of those shows? I believe shows I am perfect no? attendance. <laughs> Hard, hardest, yeah, exactly. Hardest hard working, working fan. Uh, hard, hardest working fans. Um, unfortunately, I don't. But that's a great idea. I'll have to. I'll have to bring that up. Um, I saw your shirt after LCD, man, in April. Uh, that was the, one oh. of the hardest working fans I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that was one of the hardest working pieces of cotton I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Shirt's got um, a job ahead of it. Uh, yeah, that got left in a bar. Um, <laughs> that was gross. Uh, I would say, you know, this year we the the winner. So the the in the top ten were um, uh, number one was Big Bliss, who played forty eight concerts around New York, which is a fucking insane number. Um, in second, uh, in fifth place, you know, just to just to highlight a couple, you have Govinger, who uh, that's the lo fi pop um, of Emma. Jerk Whitmer, um, who we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, she's a, a member of that band Fitz, um, who put out the the album All Belief Is Paradise, which we mentioned. And what are you listening to? And then, um, you know, you have uh, uh, Thick, the upbeat melodies with a sort of cool punk backbeat. Um, and then in tenth place with twenty four uh, concerts, you have Yucky Duster, um, who are a staple of uh, of you know, Shea Stadium before it went down. And, you know, all of these play uh, play the, the Brooklyn DIY venues on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, I think the bottom line is, like, the two reasons I like this thing, uh, number one, because it stresses the fact that practice is really fucking important. And for any young bands out there, I really, really don't want, like, to let this point drop because I, I think that, you know, the sloppy like garage stuff is always best when it's really, really tight and perfect. Um, you know, it's like when you're deliberately kind of sloppy. Um, and, uh, and you know, so it, 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 look, every band improves when they've played 48 shows together in the course of 365 days. Um, and again, that's just the shows they played in New York. And the other thing I'd say is, you know, just that like, I'm a sucker for, for live music. I know you guys are too. And, and like, these guys are 
busting their asses so that we can have a live music community, you know? And it's a, it's a cool thing to be a part of, um, and so lots of credit to them. That's awesome. Well, let's jump into the, uh, jump back into our, our albums of the year list. And to kick that off, I think, uh, Jerry, you're going to lead off with our number 10 album of the year. Speaking I am. Of yeah. New York so, band. Exactly. The New York band. A band I saw actually last Friday here in cold Boston. Um, LCD Sound System, American Dream. So obviously a band that we've dedicated many a podcast to including an entire three episode <clears throat> breakdown of losing my edge and um you know a band that you know we all love and, and have seen this year you know in, a few times in brooklyn and just seen them in boston and then christian you're going tomorrow night in brooklyn again so yeah this album was you know post hiatus and uh you know i i think like uh i don't know like a, an album that kind of initially sort of through me a little bit it's definitely an album that you know is a little heavier a little more personal by James Murphy and gang I think James Murphy basically played everything on the actual recording of the album um it has you know kind of flips back and forth between sort of like personal you know kind of some of the themes that LCD constantly kind of covers which is sort of aging and and the world today and hence the title American Dream but also kind of a, a, a tribute to some of his heroes like Alan Vega and Suicide and, and David Bowie. Um, this is an album that really grew on me throughout the year. I mean, I love LCD, and, and so when I say, like, you know, kind of threw me a little bit, it, it's a great album, and I'm comparing it to other great LCD albums, so it, it's it's still in that pantheon. But it was definitely a more challenging listen and an album that I think, you know, I think Christian, on some of our earlier pods, we reviewed this album together when we did the National and, and LCD review, and, and I think you kind of stated, like, this is definitely an album album, where LCD in the past, I mean, I I love all of their stuff, and I love them sort of as complete albums, but there's a lot of singles you can kind of pull off, sort of party anthems or, or more personal th- songs like All My Friends or something great. This is definitely a, a complete sort of piece of work from Murphy and Co. And, and uh, I don't know, you know, I, I think it's a, you know, a testament to how great this band is and a band that just continually kind of evolves and, and under his, you know, I guess, or the solo act that continually evolves in the band moniker and, uh, and really kind of, um, you know, a band that we, we, we love. So what did you guys think of this record? You know, I think I've been pretty positive on this since its uh, since its initial release, um, and I think part of it is, uh, you know, the more I frame it and sort of contextualize it in this bigger like cultural um, event of LCD's return, uh, I, I think that part of it is, you know, the way they chose to come back um, was was sort of meaningful to me, and I, you know, at the risk of, of making this um, sort of more sentimental than it needs to be for uh, for the review of the album itself, you know, I think that one thing that this band stood for um, was the sort of integrity of independent rock music, and you know, yeah, they're distributed by a major, but I mean, they they have been pretty fiercely um, committed to this artistic vision that they've had uh, for for years now, and and so. You know, seeing that they came back not just to play um, 
you know, their own hits and sort of take a victory lap around the country, um, which, by the way, they easily could have done to just as sold out concert halls. Um, but the fact that they did it in a way that, you know, propelled the music further again, um, took risks, uh, made a different kind of album that wasn't just comprised of, you know, danceable singles, uh, the, the way that, you know, his earlier stuff was sort of um, famous for being. Um, but but I think, you know, made a pretty big creative decision here. And I think history is going to be really kind to him. Yeah, yeah. I get, my only, my only um, sort of piece to add to that is that, you know, every other LCD album, um, it, they're they're growers. They're dense albums with a lot going on in them um, within you know within the construct of of every song. The thing is about every other album that they've ever done is I've had time to have it let it grow on me. Um, I don't you know this album came with such tremendous fanfare and and I it was so anticipated. It was so anticipated. There was less surprise. Also, it was also there was a lot of. You know, I mean, these are truly the darlings of the press, and they, you know, there was a lot of ink spilled on this particular album or whatever the digital equivalent of that is. Um, you know, so it, it data. There was a a feeling that you had to like it right away, and their albums are growers; they always are, and their music is. So it's it's a little tough to have that sort of handed to you, and and you know, the anticipation. You can almost walk away from it a little bit. Um, and I think I did. It, it, I caught back up with it later, um, but when it first came out, it was it felt a little disappointing. But now I realize that every time I've ever loved one of their songs and their albums, it's not one. You, yeah, very rarely do you have that immediate um, embrace of the of it, and it, it just needed to. You just need to live with it for. Yeah, a while. it's a great point. I mean, Absolutely. It, it's an album that you know. Actually, it's the first LCD album. As much as I. I l- I've loved LCD that I was truly had very high expectations for. The rest was sort of a, a like, hey, these guys are fun. Oh my god, these guys are really good. Oh my god, these guys are really good. You know, and then all of a sudden this one came out, and you know your expectations were up here. But you know, now I'm full of, of great songs, and, and I think actually like probably their most complete sort of themed album as far as albums go. So LCD at number ten. Oh, hey. 
So at number nine, we've got Margot Price uh, with All American Made. Um, and this was uh, very, very high on my, my personal list. Um, so if you guys don't mind, I'll jump in and, and talk about this. Um, you know, I, I think, look, we, we thought this might be true after her debut album, Midwest Farmer's Daughter, slotted the third spot on our, our Best of 2016 podcast. But as far as I'm concerned, this this sealed the deal for me. Um, it, it is no longer just safe to say it's Sturgill and, and Jason Isbell, but there is a, you know, I think fully formed triumvirate uh, sort of prepared to, to revitalize Nashville at the moment. Um, and, you know, I think to my ear, she is doing two things simultaneously here, stylist, stylistically and, and sort of culturally. One is, you know, to, to sort of restore traditional country music. And, you know, I, I think musically, like, a, a pretty lightly distorted Telecaster is really the most, like, uh, far-flung effect that you're going to hear. Um, she incorporates, uh, you know, some gospel organs and, and choirs to back her up, which is a great sort of um, soulful feel. Uh, it's fundamentally great storytelling music. Um, and, you know, from the ground up, it's it's built on really outstanding musicianship. Um, but she does have this, like, little edge to her. And, and you know, I think she is, in that respect, an, an outlaw, too, um, sort of spiritually, at least. Um, and, you know, doesn't... Uh, doesn't sort of gild the lily and, and tell a, a you know story that ends well um, the way that uh, some of the the industry's you know bigger stars are. Well, it's always um, been incumbent upon you to do that, uh, given right. the Nashville you know traditional parameters. Exactly. I mean, and and I think her songs are about as raw as, as you know as you're going to find anywhere, um, and and that is particularly true of the autobiographical ones, um, which makes it even more difficult to. Uh, you know, to reject, I think. Um, and it has a real, uh, a real sort of, um, you know, it, it commands attention, uh, and, you know, speaks with, with authority. But I think on songs like pay gap as well, um, you know, she tackles topics like, uh, unequal, yeah, unequal pay for women that, you know, the, like this is something that's uncomfortable for Nashville's, you know, they're, it's famously conservative. Um, and, uh, and, you know, not, not always particularly, uh, warm to, to sort of um, left of center uh, political attitudes. But, you know, I, I think the the conversation that fixates too much on, I guess, how to categorize her risks missing the, the sort of the most important point here, which is that she is a killer songwriter. Yep. Um, and on A Little Pain, uh, for instance, you know, one of the highlights, I think, of the album, you get you get a perfect example of like her this just incredible like ability to to capture these you know bittersweet images um when she sings uh you know gotta please everybody except for myself like levon said i ain't in it for my health um you know and then there's the great word play of the chorus uh a little pain never hurt anyone, which I was like, how the hell has that not been in a country song before? <laughs> it's so <laughs> I was good. like, are you serious? It, yeah. It just, she, and, but you know, for, for all the, for all the humor, I just say, like, I think her voice, it, like it still can be just heartbreaking at times. Um, so I, you know, with that, I, I, I want to open it up to you guys. Like, what did, what did you think of this? I obviously adore yeah. it. So, I mean, you, you kind of nailed a lot of the, the points that I would have brought up, but I mean, you know, first and foremost, you know, I think she, there, there's, you know, there's great songwriters and, and there's sort of the 
the person that can blend like a, a really good melody and even some catchiness within that sort of songwriting and, and have the songwriting chops. And, and she has that. I mean, you know, Little Pain has caught me right away. I think you might have been seeing her that night and uh, at Rough Trade and, and like, you know, I looked up the album and that was the, the single that I caught and, and it just blew me away. And, and I think, you know, right up there with the guys that we, the other folks that we talk about all the, all the time, but she's, she's definitely got it. I mean, again, I don't have much more to add other than I think this album was very high on my list and, and an album that I, you know, kind of go back to too. And the nice thing for me is being kind of like a, a songwriter, country music fan, Americana fan is, you know, this kind of next crop of people. I mean, you know, in the same vein that in the sort of early 2000s, you know, Lucinda Williams and people like that, who Kelly Willis, you know, had been around for a little while, Shelby Lynn, um, you know, women that definitely had kind of done their time, started to really kind of get some critical acclaim and put out albums. I feel like Margot is is kind of picking up that torch and, and, you know, carrying it on. So it's it's great stuff. Similarly, I've got to say, there is something about, like, the gestation period of success for country stars or, you know, for, I guess... Stars is is a um, in the eye of the beholder, but uh, you know for for Sturgill, Isbell, Margot Price, like they all have one thing in common, which is that they work their asses off for very little uh, you know critical acclaim for a decade before they made it. brings us to a number eight album which uh is the uh third of of that holy triumvirate that you were just speaking of and that's jason isbel he's done this one uh with the 400 unit um his band that's been with him uh since the beginning but he's been his last two albums i believe were were purely solo solo uh, ventures and um this one again um you know i think the 400 unit provides a little bit more dynamic um, uh, sonics to what is become you know almost taken for granted with Isbel, which is just that the guy writes beautifully and surprisingly, and his stories unfold 
uh, very much counter to the the way you think they will. I, um, Christian, you did that. You sent that um, discussion between he and uh, the writer George Saunders around. Uh, it was GQ sponsored um, one hour interview, and you know myself being a writer, it's it, it was really um, it was just amazing to watch the measured uh, way he talks about serious songwriting and the way that he always wants to subvert cliche and stay away. And then, you know, that it's hard work on his part to, to come to these, um, very economical passages where he can give you a lot of information or, or paint a picture without having to over explain himself, but also taking words that have never been strung together before in a song um, he is the antithesis of the Moon June Spoon uh, lazy rhyme guy. He is, you know, I mean, he's always going someplace you don't expect. And, you know, in songs like uh, um, If We Were Vampires, which reminds me a lot of Elephant from his previous, um, one of the previous albums of Southeastern, where he's tackling a subject, or he's, he's sort of singing uh, about a subject um, in this case, it's sort of, I guess, the opposite. Of it. They're very similar in, in tone, but Elephant is a, a song about cancer that you don't often hear about. But uh, If We Were Vampires is um, a very misleading title purposefully, and it's a love song, but it takes a very, very um, left-field approach um, to the discussion of, of how special a uh, relationship can be and how special somebody can be to you. So it, it, to me, this is... A fantastic album. Um, you guys kick it around because uh, I've said a fair amount. No, I think you. I mean, you described um, really beautifully. I, uh, I thought you know the the impactful um, songwriting. I mean, and, and the fact you know his his wordcraft is really incredible. And when you mentioned the George Saunders piece, I just I I keep the thought that keeps coming back to me is I keep referring to it as an interview, and I believe GQ did too. But I don't know who was interviewing whom. That was a discussion. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was like, I, I, no, it's just, it was the two of them just sat down and started talking. And I was like, I really don't know who was supposed to be interviewing whom there. Uh, but it's, uh, but it, it was great. Um, and it, it is, it is refreshing to see somebody who just takes their, it just takes the, the art of songwriting so incredibly seriously. Yeah. Like, I mean, and as, uh, you know, it's awesome. And it, and it shows. So. And also, I mean, I will say, and, and uh, just to you know, give one more sort of word of support to this, um, you know, when somebody's doing something extremely well consistently, you you tend to uh, take it for granted or, or start you know sort of um, giving it less heft than it deserves, just because you make three great albums in a row. Um, you know, people shouldn't lose ex- uh, excitement, enthusiasm by the third one. Um, it's a, it's a pretty amazing feat, and it, it, the fact that you can listen to all three of them as a piece is uh, you know is pretty fantastic. But you know it's like a, you know like the trouble we mentioned before with Spoon. It's like you know they've had pretty much seven or eight great albums in a row, and, and uh, you know to not to ding them for that. I mean, the, I, I guess it's a long way around saying that. That's why I think Isbell's record is is number eight on this list. And if he hadn't put out an album. In, 
eight years, <laughs> it would be it two. Would be number yeah. one. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And for anybody who wonders if uh, Spoon goes unappreciated um, on this list, stay tuned. Um, but uh, you <laughs> know, I, I think the, the the last thing I would I would say about the and just just because we we've, we've talked now about about two really outstanding songwriters in a row, you know, I, I just want to toss out credit. Um, as Margot Price and, and Jason Isbell um, themselves do, uh, to the fact that their partners in both cases are also band members. Um, Jeremy Ivey uh, in Margot Price's um, The Price Tags uh, and Amanda Shires for, for Jason Isbell. And in both cases, um, you know, they are collaborators and co-writers on a lot of these songs. So whatever it is about those relationships, that's clearly a, it's a, strong, it's a strong foundation for them. So keep it up. Yeah. It's not the long flowing dress that you're in Or the light coming off of your skin The fragile heart you protected for so long Or the mercy in your sense of right and wrong It's not your hands searching slow in the dark Or your nails leaving love as watermark it's not the way you talk me all through Your questions like directions to the truth It's knowing that this can't go on forever Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone Maybe we'll get 40 years together But one day I'll be gone but one day you'll be we were vampires and death was a joke We'd go out on the sidewalk and smoke And laugh at all the lovers and their plans I wouldn't feel the need to hold your hand Maybe time running out is a gift I'll work hard till the end of my shift Give you every second I can find And hope it isn't me who's left behind It's knowing that this can't go on forever Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone Maybe we'll get 40 years together One day I'll be gone One day you'll be All right, so next on our list, we are down to number seven, and uh, a band we all love from uh, up north. Christian? Yeah, from the great uh, snowy uh, north and and near Toronto, um, we have Casper Skulls with their album uh, Mercy Works. And, you know, this is a debut album by the Toronto, I guess, natives uh, sort of uh, suburban Toronto I think um, and these guys are signed to Buzz Records which is uh, you know the home of, of personal favorites of mine Dilly Dally Grays and Weaves um, so you know I, right off the bat I was really excited about the pedigree here um, and I've got to say like the, the band arrives fully formed um, and I think they're really sort of poised to add something pretty special to the to the pantheon of Fender Jazzmaster-driven indie rock. Um, you know, the, the style uh, sort of roams across 
shoegaze, um, more angular post punk, and uh, the you know and, and sort of slacker college rock. Um, and on the instrumental side of the equation, I think uh, that style is sort of punctuated by really great use of 1990s style guitar effects pedals, for lack of a better term. Um, but but I think on the vocal side, which is really uh, where they shine, as uh, you know, the, they benefit from from just the fact that they're they're two lead singers. Um, clearly share uh, a very personal connection. Um, and, you know, it's, it's old friends, uh, Neil Bedness and uh, Melanie St. Pierre, um, or St. Pierre. Uh, and, you know, I think to, to my ear, they draw inspiration from sort of the Sonic Youth uh, pavement uh, ilk. Um, but, you know, Wyndham, you said yeah, our, I, our last podcast that, that you know, um, what, are, what, are you, uh, what are we listening to that, that you heard a lot of the fall in them, which is actually... Funnily enough, a comparison that was used by the Toronto Star and the glowing profile that they uh, that they wrote on this band. But I also thought I just, that they could have. Yeah, I said, you know, how these. I said it almost sounds like they grew up on Broken Social Scene records, and then I realized they're young enough to have grown up on Broken Social Scene records. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, I mean for for sure. Uh, so I think just to mention a couple of highlights quickly. Um, you know, the song Primeval is. Uh, just driven forward by this really incredible, incredibly like unsettling rhythmic pulse that sort of builds until you're, it just, it just totally surrounds the, the listener, um, which is sort of where you get the, the sort of shoegazy, you know, um, ocean of sound, uh, effect. Um, but Lingua Franca is just a, a beautiful piece of pop nostalgia. Um, and I think the, this is a great example of sort of how the, the richness of, of St. Pierre's voice is, um, uh, uh, paired with like these sonically super dense guitars. Um, and, uh, the last one I've mentioned is, is what's that good for, which is, um, a, a personal favorite. And there, I think you, you get the sort of the, this wonderful counterpoint between like Bedness's super flat, um, sort of dispassionate lyrical delivery, uh, which is sort of it serves as this really plain um, uh, sort of springboard, canvas. for lack of a better yeah. term, yeah, canvas for for like the the purity of of Saint Pierre's voice. So you know, the bottom line is like I absolutely love this. Um, I think it's a really incredible uh, contribution in, in sort of post punk. Um, so and you know, only been listening to it for two months, uh, but it is already aging very very well already your number um, seven yeah i mean i was gonna say made number seven <laughs> on the on the uh, years list which is pretty impressive for a band we only heard a couple months ago yeah so how did you guys um uh, what'd you guys make of this i'm a i'm a i'm a con immediate convert i liked it from the first time i heard it which is unusual and i, I was like you know as we get a lot of um you know we get a fair amount of uh recommendations from christian and, um, you know, try and, uh, you know, give good time to all of them, but I uh, can't always do that. And this is one of those ones where I was like, oh, wait a second, like, this isn't just good. This is, you know, among yeah. the best things I've heard. No, this is, this is like really, yeah, exactly. It's that extra cut above. So I would just credit our friends and uh, Adira Horse for, uh, for passing this recommendation along, so... Siren swag on the Jeep It's not me you're torn Protecting no one while they kill For their own killing sport 
Enthusiasm uh, for Casper Skulls uh, is just a notch below the uh, Jeremy's enthusiasm for the next record. Exactly one rung below, yes. Well, in in certain terms, I haven't heard Jeremy be so effusive about an album in a long time. Seven rungs below. um, This was actually my favorite album of the year. And, uh, you know, obviously with our our math, it came out at number six, but. yeah, Big Thief's, the album is Big uh, Capacity by Big Thief, and this was an album that, um, you know, I, just the album cover alone, I kind of go back to constantly, and, and we don't really look at album covers anymore, because we're pretty digital these days, but, you know, it's sort of kids having kids, and uh, it's actually a picture of the, the singer, Adrian Lenker's uh, uncle holding her as, as a young baby, infant, and, uh, and the album definitely kind of carries that theme, and I don't know, like every few years I feel like there's something that comes out that kind of blends like a haunting realism, almost like a really good novel um, with, you know, great songwriting, great music, whether it was, you know, Bon Iver's Forever Emma or Neutral Milk Hotel or, you know, and I, and I kind of put those out, this album up there with those for me. It's just an album that kind of struck a chord with me right away and is really haunting yet has um enough melody and enough <clears throat> kind of you know changes of pace to really kind of bring you into this world and uh yeah just I, you know I, didn't, I hadn't actually hadn't heard the first album masterpiece I went back and listened to it but you know this album just really is one of those things I, I say it a lot in this this countdown that we've had like I, I always look for albums that I can constantly go back to and um I think like some of those other, you know, just very sort of like personal albums, this is another one that like I, I almost hesitate to be like, oh, you have to hear this, but everyone I turn it on to is like, wow, that's amazing. And, this, you know, standouts alone, I mean, the opener is is a lot excellent, sorry guys, uh, Pretty Things, um, Shark Smile, the single, is, is probably one of my favorite songs of the year. Mythological Beauty, which, you know, is, is literally sort of a, an account a, you know, very literal account of, of her as a young girl and a, you know, playing in sort of a, a junkyard of a yard and cracking her head open via something falling off a tree, but it's such a beautiful song and so well-structured um, that it really kind of takes you there and also, you know, excites you musically as well. So, I mean, this is an album I can't say enough good things about. It was number one on my list this year. I, um, I'm really excited to see what these guys do next. I haven't had an opportunity to see them live. I'd really like to. 
But uh, I'll turn it over to you guys because I've, I've gushed about this album earlier in the year and, and I'm still gushing. So uh, the, the the board would like to remind Jeremy that it is number six on his list <laughs> this year, uh, not in fact number one. Um, number yeah, one no, on I, my I personal <laughs> list. Number six on our list. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, understood. Like I, I, I loved it. Um, I thought it was great, and I think it's the sort of confessional, quirky stories. Um, I mean, quirky is probably a uh, fairly um, pleasant way of describing um, (laughs) some of this. Yeah, um, but it is a really sort of moving album. Um, I agree. from the last couple. Uh, this is a guy who sells records. Um, it's Kendrick Lamar's Damn, and I don't think that I actually uh, can add that much that hasn't been said about this album. Uh, again, it's one of those ones where I thought when this album dropped, I thought the um, conversation was over for album of the year. I, I kind of assumed um, that uh, with the amount of attention, the amount of praise, and the uh, just you know, unmitigated praise for this record, um, and that has continued all year. But you know, as you get further and further from um, you know the sort of detonation date, um, you know, you tend to forget a little bit, or you have more of a recency bias that keeps you from remembering what this thing sounded like when it when it first dropped. And um, you know, it's it's uh, songs like "Humble" and "DNA" that were ubiquitous. You couldn't you couldn't watch a NBA playoff game without hearing um, both of those as bumpers to the ads and all that. And so, you know, I mean, like I said, it was inescapable this year. I, I, I'd be silly to try to add uh, much to the critical conversation around this album. I will just say that, um, you know, I was certain that this would be everyone's number one this year. And oh, I'll wade into the critical um, discussion a, a little bit just by, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I think 
the recency bias is always really strong, and it's interesting to see how that um, how that affects these these lists. Like they are, uh, I think, always skewed toward the back half of the year. And similarly, I you know I, I think it, like the industry is aware of that. And Taylor Swift was not um, like there's a reason why the fall is such a such a dense uh, release period. Yeah, um, that's the equivalent for, of Oscar season. That's ex- yeah, that's the exact comparison. Um, but you know, typically. Whether it's Run the Jewels surprise dropping their album last year on New Year's Eve or what, no, was it Christmas Eve? New Year's I Eve, guess Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve. It's like okay, there could not be, there literally could not be a deader night of the year um, to surprise release your album. So uh, I, I think it, it's it's worth taking a look at the folks who, you know, who who don't who do break with the industry calendar, um, who don't aren't hype, yeah. Because they know they know what they're doing is is so is so damn good. Um, now, what's interesting is, look, there were there were there were lists out there this year in which I saw four forty four uh, claim a higher spot than Kendrick, and I like I don't know whether that's because the checks are coming from the you know <laughs> the Barclays Center conglomerate or like say, quite a few what the lists, deal is. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. I, yeah, but I mean, like, come on, this is this is no contest, and I I'll be totally honest with you. I th- there have just been glimpses of sheer genius in the stuff that Kendrick's done in the past, and songs that I really, really liked. Um, I mean, more than liked, uh, and I've always thought the you know the overall construction of the album is is really impressive. Um, but what got me about this was like he he went for you know like bangers in a way that he hasn't in the past um and uh i think you know really tried to like he sort of threw down the gauntlet against it each each time he puts out an album i should say he he throws down the gauntlet against a new and different set of people (laughs) um and demonstrates that he can compete in their category and make music better than them um and so i think it's it's sort of fascinating like at a time where you know the slightly i would say lighter well, I don't want to say lighter subject matter because trap houses aren't a light subject matter, but like, um, you know, the there is sort of a a more humorous, I would say, playful. or playful um, aspect of like Migos or Lil Yachty, um, you know, and in a year where that kind of stuff is really dominating the pop charts and not just the rap charts, but the pop charts, for somebody to come out and be like, okay, I'm going to put together one of the most sonically dense jazz-inspired rap albums that the world has ever seen is a really bold statement. Um, and for him to do it and also make, I think, two of the best, you know, what club tracks, um, like pump up tracks, uh, that, you know, that you hear anywhere is, is a really remarkable achievement. This guy is, this um, guy is the Midas touch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Damn. I got, I got, I got, I got loyalty, got royalty inside my DNA. Cocaine quarter piece, got war and peace inside my DNA. I got power, poison, pain, and joy inside my DNA. I got hustle, though, ambition flow inside my DNA. Was born like this, is born like this, immaculate conception. I transform like this, perform like this. What shells you a new weapon? I don't contemplate, I meditate, then off your fucking head. This that puts the kiss to bed. This that I got, I got, I got, I got realness. I just kill shit, cause it's in my DNA. I got millions, I got riches building in my DNA. I got dark, I got evil that rot inside my DNA. I got off, I got trouble, some heart inside my 
DNA I just win again, then win again Like Wimbledon, I serve Yeah, that's him again The sound that engine in is like a bird You see fireworks and Corvette tires Skirt the boulevard I know how you work I know just who you are See, use it, use it, use it Bitch, you almost probably switch inside your DNA Problem is, all that sucker shit inside your DNA Daddy probably snitch Heritage inside your DNA Backbone don't exist Burn on side a jellyfish, I guess offend you this is parlor's oldest son i know murder conviction firmness boosters burgers ballers dead redemption scholars fathers dead with kids and i wish i was fed forgiveness yeah 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 soldiers dna born inside the beast my expertise checked out in second grade when i was nine on sale motel we didn't have nowhere to stay at 29 i've been so well hit cartwheel in my estate and i'm gonna shine like i'm supposed to anti-social extrovert and excellent mean an extrovert and absentness what the fuck you Anyway, that said, uh, number four, uh, Christian, you're going to uh, give us a lowdown on, on uh, number four record. I am indeed. Um, and, you know, I, this, look, we've, we've talked at length about this. Uh, it's, it's Queens of the Stone Age villains, um, which, frankly, has just been worn out um, in, in my apartment anyway. Um, I, I love this thing. It's, it's a direction that... I couldn't have, I, I wouldn't have necessarily predicted that Queen to the Stone Age um, was was headed until uh, until the news that they'd recruited Mark Ronson to produce it. Um, but you know, I think it is uh, a slightly, it's a little slicker, a little tidier, and more danceable um, than you know all their past stuff. But I think the cool part is that that Ronson's you know, uh, the Ronson touch, so to speak, um, has not made, uh, Josh Homme's songs any less, um, you know, muscular, muscular, weird or ambitious. Um, and so, you know, I think it was, it was interesting. Like I remember when like, like clockwork came out and was it 2014? Something around 13, maybe. Yeah. Um, that was sort of the first time that I'd seen the music press sort of start to prop these guys up as maybe the modern day Metallica, Zeppelin, you know, Zeppelin, something in there. But like, I, I think that the the comparison, which is that they make heavy chugging rock music for the masses, um, is even more true now because I think that they've they've sort of expanded their their reach uh, and and their um, you know their their palette really um, uh, by you know sort of straddling the mainstream, but but really maintaining their chops and and um credibility so you know for all the for all the queens fans who are gonna bitch about this um whatever yeah <laughs> i know it's almost funny it. actually <clears throat> this album in particular and, and I, i'm a queens fan I, I was lucky enough to see them very 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 early on and uh have have kind of loved them ever since i can't say like album for album that they've had great album you know last couple have not been my thing and I, I think this album i think when you were the first person to call it out and i think christian you mentioned danceability i mean i don't know if it's so much dance but it has that kind of like 70s groove Boogie. that some of those zz top albums had um, sorry what was that that was the word that you used when yeah. the word you used was yeah, boogie. Swamp boogie yeah swamp boogie yeah no exactly and and uh, you know i i think <clears throat> 
it, they're always a band that like is, is really sort of accessible, but also complicated. And, you know, I, I think that's what makes them great is, you know, it's a sound that you can kind of easily pop on and, and enjoy, but they, they just have a depth to them that a lot of, uh, you know, sort of one-off hard rock bands do not. Yeah. And I, I think too, it, it, you know, I've said this before about Jack White, who I, you know, I think is sort of, um, you know, a, a strong, uh, contemporary of, of, uh, Josh Homme. Um, Josh Homme's a really good singer and, you know, Jack White's a really good singer. It's like, you know, you don't ordinarily get that sort of power of, you know, like a, a guy who looks like he owns his guitar, who also can, can sing and, and, uh, you know, and actually, uh, you know, extremely melodic, but also, um, has a lot of range. So, so um, if I'm if if I'm drafting people for my basketball team, it will be Jack White, Josh Homme, and Jason Isbell, yes. or for throwing large bales of hay off the back of pickup trucks in a field somewhere. <laughs> Those are my first three picks in a bar fight, anyway. Um, well, Jack White, you make it your wish. So. Yeah. And actually, you you say that after news that Josh Homme kicked somebody in the head two days ago. So at a at a Christmas concert, no less. Kick, he's the kicker of elves. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> know one of our, our all-time favorites you know sort of precursor mentioned earlier spoon with hot thoughts and um you know this is a band that you know i think when you kind of reference we were talking about consistency with jason isbell but you know i don't the reality with hot thoughts is you know it's funny this band i think the only consistency is they keep putting out great albums but i i really do think they they tend to kind of push and expand their sound and, and don't get enough credit for it and I think this is an album that sort of, uh, you know, ties in some of the things that they've done well before, kind of the Krautrocky sparseness, but also had like a really kind of sexy groove to it as well. And, uh, you know, like all Spoon albums, I think you guys like love this album right away. I knew I would love it, but just kind of gave it a little more time. And funny enough, as we were kind of compiling all these lists and, and putting together our top albums, I, I really kind of dove back into it. 
and um, it, it's you know it, it's just a another like home run from Spoon, and, and I think actually kind of one of their more fun, um, livelier albums that they put out in a while. And and I can't say that there there's really a, a bad Spoon album. There really isn't, uh, especially the last sort of five. But you know, I could listen to Do I Have to Talk You Into It? You know, forty times a day. I mean, that song is just. A, you know just a absolute you know joy to listen to and, and just kind of like psychs you up you know hot thoughts the single i am the one you know it's just you know spoon is a band that it's funny for me um just you know kind of in context like a band that i i when i lived in austin was kind of struggling a little bit and, and trying to kind of find their footing um, to see where they've kind of gone today. It's sort of like the Wilco scenario where you had like, you know, the sort of lauded Jay Ferrara and Sunvolt's first album being so popular and then Wilco kind of, you know, doing laps around what was Sunvolt today. You know, I think Spoon's the same way. They're like kind of the band that, you know, people didn't necessarily have the faith in early on that just has kind of proven everyone wrong and, and continually puts out For a really great long music. Time. Yeah, a really long time. But, I, you know, and I also do think like, you know, we always talk consistency with these guys. Like, and, and you know, I'll, I'll knock one of my favorite bands that, that you guys don't like as much as me, but the National, who who didn't make our list this year. Um, you know, that's consistency. I mean, they, they really do have a sound, and, and it's good, and it definitely has some depth to it. But I think Spoon, you know, for some reason, doesn't always get the credit deserves for really pushing the boundaries musically. I mean, they, they do a lot of different stuff. And on this album in particular, they brought in, David Friedman and uh, Jim Eno had been, you know, sort of the the mainstay. Him and uh, Bert Daniel being the the sort of founders and, and longest running members of Spoon, usually produces all their albums. But they brought in some extra uh, muscle power there, and even for a Friedman effort, you know, it, it sounds very, you know, unique and original to Spoon to me. So, what do you guys think about this album? I know you both loved it. I, I don't have a ton to say that I didn't say, but earlier on when we did it on what are you listening to, but uh, you know these these albums, their late period albums particularly, um, you know, I I tend to run the table on on what my favorite song is on it, um, you know, it switches and it's almost like a light switch goes on every time you get to a point with a spoon song that like oh, I want to hear that again, I want to hear that again, I want to hear that again, um, but it it's you know it's it's a particular listen you can almost um, uh, predict that you know I, I don't love this song right now but I can tell eight more times eight more spins around it and, and, and I'm going to love it so you know one of the cool things about Spoon and I, I, I sort of want to put this question to you guys like one of the distinctive features of this band is that so we, we talk a lot on this podcast about how consistent they are. And, and, you know, consistency is like, look, it can be a good thing or a bad thing. It can also mean unadventurous um, in, a, in a negative context. And I think precisely to your point, Jeremy, that, like, these guys are taking bigger risks and, um, you know, swinging for the fences a little bit more than people maybe, than, than we often give them credit for. Um, and... It's it's interesting to me, sort of reflecting back on this like this corpus of of you know what this is their ninth album I think, um, <clears throat> like thinking back on that, you know how each one at the time it, like it, they they are unequivocally and always spoon albums first, but each one does really feel like it fits in that moment in indie rock, 
Um, and, you know, we talk about the sort of amorphous notion of like what indie rock is, um, or, or at least we refer to it constantly without ever really defining it. And, you know, not that it needs to be defined, but I think it is fair to say that like wherever indie rock is, these guys are always a great barometer um, for, for sort of what's going on uh, in that sound. I, I, like, do you feel that? I mean, I think mm-hmm. they, they are at once like pushing, you know, the frontier a little bit, but they're also, they're, they're staying, you know, sort of within the weather. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I, agree. yeah they're re- I think they're a band that kind of, you know, when people were rediscovering the kinks, they had kind of a kink sound when, you know, people were getting a little more dance oriented yeah. or Prince oriented. They, they the, always kind of throw a touch of that. And it is very much spoon forward. They like did. You said. It's yeah. Always they had, spoon, it was, it, but it was the, it was the, in kill the moonlight, you know, there was a Beatles revival moment yeah. going on. And I've always thought that, that, you know, the, the way we get by is like a sort of Paul McCartney esque. Um, ballad or like the fact that they reintroduced the horns on Ga 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 which was like a sort of Motown yeah, revival like moment soul going on. Yep. it's like they are, they are hip to what is like popular and good and about to happen and then they help make it happen mm-hmm. um, and so you know the but yeah no I, I think um, uh, I, the highlights I think are, are dead on in terms of what you said was um uh, what you said was great here. Um, the only thing I would I would call out is just the fact that one of my favorite lines about this was um, uh, that "Do I want to talk you into it?" sounds like um, sounds like uh, if if Nine Inch Nails Closer was arranged by Alan Toussaint, um, <laughs> which I thought was just a great line in in uh, one of the reviews I, from a few months ago. So, um, and I was like, "Shit, that's right. It kind of does." <laughs> I do. Coming up in the runner-up position, the salutatorian of 2017 <laughs> is my favorite album of the year, White Reapers, World's Best American Band. Um, I talked at length about them a couple weeks ago, but I, I just 
uh, in case you aren't listening to every single minute of everything I say, um, White Reaper. What? I love uh, sort of big guitar sound, very sort of glam rocky, you know, in the sense, you know, sort of Mata Hoople, um, you know, kind of sweet kind of way. Um, but also, you know, there's second, there's moments you hear Thin Lizzy, there's moments you hear, um, you know, freaking Smashing Pumpkins for Christ's sake. You know, it's, uh, there are, it's, it's not, um, it's really fun music and it's big and the guitars are big and dumb and, but the whole unit as they play, it's a five piece with a pretty prominent, uh, keyboard, uh, player and, um, keyboard sound. But I think kind of looks like meatloaf. Kind of. I, I said he looked like vegan meatloaf. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, but you know, and, and vegan, you know, just not a, the person. It's it's a it's you know what it, it's a more filled out but you know more produced and and you know as uh, a purveyor of, of song lyrics um, uh, better written um, but has the same spirit of of the first two Japan Droid records where you kind of want to pump your fist and, and sing along and they are yeah but you along. don't necessarily cringe if you uh, look up if the lyrics on Genius <laughs> <laughs> exactly I mean these guys are being these guys are clever people doing uh, fun and dumb in the same way that Urge Overkill did very well, and, and someone like Andrew W.K. Um, hides it very well, but is doing uh, pretty yeah. much the same thing. It's there's a there's a there's a completely unapologetic um, ambition to make good rock balladry. Like you know, uh, it's like we can make big, heavy arena rock songs and. Fuck you! Why wouldn't we make those songs? Yeah. Because they're fun and everybody awesome, loves those and songs. exactly, and everybody does love those songs. Well, um, guys, and sorry, you know, it's, it's oh no! I, I just, I mean, you know, to to um, highlight their sense of humor, their debut album was called "White Reaper Does It Again," <laughs> uh, and their second album was called "The World's Greatest American Band." So um, clearly, clearly, an audition for the greatest American band bracket, I'm uh, for the hosted third. by Brother, Brother, Brother. They, yeah, they have a they have a puncher's chance right now. I think they're one of the best rock bands playing right now. And um, just to give you a little bit, they're uh, five piece out of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, you know, as far as I know, they don't feel like part of any sort of scene or movement. It doesn't feel like there's a. I mean, with the uh, exception of, of a band like Sheer Mag, with whom they they share a sensibility, um, kindred spirits. Yeah, yeah. Um, a little is... bit of Titus Andronicus as well. But I mean, I, I do th- I do think that the geographic dislocation, or you know, um, from some of the quote unquote hotter, you know, scenes of like minded musicians around the country, like offers it allows them to sort of to do something in you know not not isolation but like with a little bit of independence mm-hmm. um and it's it's had a really positive impact on the on the finished product so yeah i'm waving the flag for white reaper and uh, that's that's all i gotta say <laughs>
Drum roll. Yeah. Uh, our number one album. Dr- drum machine roll. Yeah, um, exactly. Casio uh, keyboard roll. Our number one album of the year, Vince Staples' Big Fish Theory. Now, at the risk of being a little bit reductive here, I would say that it is worth noting that there are some obvious parallels to the careers of Vince Staples and Kendrick Lamar. Um, They're both from Los Angeles. Uh, Both have found success swimming against the musical mainstream um, by basically writing dense, politically charged lyrics in an era uh, that is enamored with mumble rap, uh, Migos, Ray Sremmerd, and Lil Yachty. Um, Both of these guys have cultivated on-record personas of a tough street kid, uh, you know, part tough street kid, part world-weary philosopher who transcends time and space. Um, Both are astonishingly technically gifted uh, rappers who are, I I think, are literally pushing forward the art of emceeing um, with every new track that they they release. Um, And both have an affinity for rapping over oddball, um, you know, sort of square peg beats that uh, until they use them wouldn't even have necessarily been considered rap beats. Um, with that, I would say, you know, Vince has hung out in Kendrick's shadow way longer than he should have. Um, and I think a lot of this has to do with, with simply who came first and, and the, the, you know, the critical momentum, the label powerhouse, you know, there was just a lot behind Kendrick Lamar, um, rightfully so. Uh, and I but, believe he guests on every out, every song that came out this year. I mean, there is a... <clears throat> Yeah, an inescapability. Absolutely, um, but I think that you know it's it's time Vince Staples you know gets the recognition that he deserves, and uh, really right from the the opener on this album, "Crabs in a Bucket," um, this like just hypnotic flow um, is you know pushing this sound forward, and you're like, is this a dance record? Like, I mean, what what are these beats? Um, and you know how how is he? You know, it's it's obviously not singing. It's it's still this sort of sparse, um, minimalistic, disaffected uh, delivery that that he's you know absolutely mastered, um, and I think done better than anybody since Prodigy from uh, uh, Mob Deep. But you know, um, the the bleakness really does remain the most striking part about this thing, and it, it's it's interesting because sort of seeing seeing him in in pop culture. Um, Every statement, like, outside of music that he makes has this sort of implied, like, I don't give a shit shrug. Um, and, you know, he's, he's basically, he has a sort of, I'm too young to have seen this much. Um, and it's, you know, and I'm, and I'm no longer interested. I don't care. Um, but it's so, but, like, his songs contain this, uh, like, a photorealistic attention to detail, I think, that completely lies the premise that he isn't paying attention and that he doesn't care. Um, mm-hmm. No one paying that much attention to the color of people's shoelaces doesn't care. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, his his lyrics are really, are just pared down to this incredibly bare um, You can go back to carcass. for the, you know, 
economy of words in that case. You know what I mean? It's like who this is different and it's economical and it's well thought out and it's just it's amazing. The one other thing that I would say that you know really made this. I don't know, this, that really strikes me with this record is I feel like there's one song on this album. It feels like start to finish. It's like one, a cohesive like a, piece of work. Like a suite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. It's, it's, um, it's, a, uh, it's sort of, it's classical in that sense. Um, or, I mean, it, it feels like a, a you know, Movements. a movement yeah. rather than, and in that respect, I think it's also, I mean, that that's another way that I think it, it sort of, um, reinterprets or borrows from you know the sort of the dance genre uh that like this isn't you know it's you the beat doesn't stop right like you just it is a continuous piece of movement a uh, piece of, of music but but also uh movement um it, you know it, the so in terms of the subject the last thing the last thing i'll say about this is just that while his debut i guess summertime of six which i fucking loved um explicitly focused on his childhood. I think the the step forward here and, and sort of what made this so interesting was that, you know, he takes a step into the present and, and sort of um, zooms out a little bit. Uh, and I think, you know, what I took away from that was he, he showed me sort of uncomfortably that a lot of the sinister characters um, that I would like to consign to this, you know, idea of like a, a gang, you know, infested um ghetto that that he was describing in in summertime 06 like the same sinister intentions uh are present all over society uh everywhere you look and that is not a happy thought um but it is i I think a, a an idea that translates really well um this year in particular let's say let's take a break we'll come right back and and wrap up the pod you can get anything you want. You know what I'm saying? You want that over there? You want that over there? Got you. I was up late night balling, counting up hundreds by the thousand. I was up late night balling, counting up hundreds by the thousand. I was up late night balling, counting up hundreds by the thousand. I was up late night balling, counting up hundreds by the thousand. So far from my past misfortune, no sleeping, late nights, no eating, gun squeezing, I'm a real artesian, Ramona, I was round that counter, still down, I'm a North North soldier, G-slide, right down Sawyer, when we slide, you won't see morning, another story of a young black man trying to make it up out that gym, goddamn back back, let me make my bands, got plans, if you hating, don't shake my hand, take it easy, homie, reminiscing, sitting in that bins of the 22 bus stop. Way back when with the 22 five shot eyes on skin for the click clack clap for the boot bop bam cuz I was up late night balling counting up hundreds by the thousand I was up late night balling counting up hundreds by the thousand I was up late night balling counting up hundreds by the thousand I was up late night balling counting up hundreds by the thousand Welcome back to Brother, 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 and that wraps up our top 21 albums of the year. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Uh, we sure as hell enjoyed 
listening to it and uh, or listening to all of these albums, I should say, and um, bickering over the smallest and most trivial territorial details um, as we vied to to get our number one albums into first place. Um, overall, though, guys, I, I'm pretty happy with this list. I think it turned out great. And frankly, I think it's better than every other single list that has been made by anybody. I was going to say, I think it might be the best list out there. I think it is the best, the definitive. The people have spoken. I'll go one further. I think it's one better than every top 20 list out there. I think it's... We can keep going all night with that. We should probably move on. (laughs) Um, But... uh, but you know, no, it was it was a ton of fun, and and uh, appreciated doing this get, uh, with you guys again. But um, just a you know quick quick announcement again, though um, we have our second installation uh, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art coming up on uh, December eighteenth, Monday um, at six thirty p.m. It's uh, open to the public, and it is uh, in the exhibition. Um, for World War One in the arts, so we we definitely encourage people to come check it out. We're gonna uh, we're we're hosting a conversation with um, the installation artist Evie Day, um, who's absolutely you know fabulous stuff is is um, uh, very politically charged and and a really sort of exciting topic for us um, as we as we you know discuss the the intersection of of art and politics, um, which feels particularly salient at the moment. Um, so with that, I, I, will hand it back to you, Wyndham, but, uh, should we jump into our, should we, should we each add songs, I guess, to the top 21,000, um, uh, top 20, songs of all 20, time? 21, 10 best songs of all time. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, are you ready to roll? Yeah. Why don't you kick it off for us? All right. I am going to go with my song of ah gee, there was a bunch of songs of the year but um this is my this is a song that's burning a, 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 a groove in my uh in my iPhone in your right heart. now which is um the evil, the queens of the stone age the evil has landed <clears throat> great song it is a damn good one um what about you Jeremy yeah, I think I'm going to go off the top 21 list myself, and I'm going to keep lobbying for uh, my favorite album of the year, Big Thief, and I'm going to go with my favorite single of the year, Shark Smile. Nice. That's a great choice. And Christian? I'm going to go with What's That Good For by Casper Skulls. Nice. Yeah, nice. I think we, we should round this out. We're excited about all these. So Pull it from the top seven. Um, so anyway, uh, well... Really good talking to you guys, and we will be back next week with another episode, and we look forward to our next live performance December 18th at the Metropolitan Museum of Art with Evie Day. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.